Hello and welcome to episode number 15 of our podcast. My name is Elliot. I'm Alexis. And this week we started talking about the coronavirus. Yeah. Then we went into uh, Naudi and functional patterns. patterns. Yes. And then we went off on some crazy cosmology, astrophysics, quantum physics. Yeah. Well, it's not, not too that crazy, but yeah. Nucleo, right. Nucleosynthesis and, and gold and iron. Mm. And lithium a bit as well from the Big Bang. And then we topped it off with a little bit of talk about limitations again. Again, we love limitations mm, at very, the moment. Very interesting one. Uh, yeah, no, always, we want we want some uh, comment actually. Yeah. Please um, interact with us because the latter part of the um, of the podcast is uh, actually about limitation, and in we would like to have people's uh, um, understand people's mode of reality at times. So please uh, comment a bit, and maybe more than one or two words. Maybe a good paragraph would do quite nicely, <laughs> really. Okay, so we get a bit of context. Okay. Yeah, and enjoy. Perambulations in Franglais. Did you, did you see a bit with the coronavirus? What, Italy? No, 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 no. The advice from the government. What it is. What is it? Wash your fucking hands. Yeah. Cough into your elbow. And then don't cough into people's face. I'll be back. So it's just the stuff that we all should know. You know what we were talking about? About all the water effect of medical intervention on the death rate from infectious disease since the 1900 and the fact that it was just 5%. Really. Well, the medical intervention, like the, the, the medical, yeah. And what's the rest? Well, the 95% are to do with sanitation. You don't poo in your kitchen anymore, which is pretty good. <laughs> and then hygiene, you tend to wash your hands and you get good use of soap. Soap, really good. Saponification, really interesting. A bit of fat, and animal fat even. Maybe this vegan soap, actually. They must be vegan soap. Yeah, some good for vegans. Otherwise, they can't wash their hands. So, with a bit of acid and uh, fat, you can do soap really easily. And it's great to get rid of bacteria and all sort of shit from your fingers and your face and when you wash your nails, nails and other nails. And then um, the last one is uh, lifestyle, basically. So, we tend to. There's more overweight people in the world than there are underweight people. Come on. So we eat plenty and we get stronger, basically. And we die less of infection because of that. Because we clean ourselves and what we use properly, like chopping balls and all those kind of stuff. And we don't poo. We have got a special little place where we go and poo and puke. Great. And then, when need be, the medical intervention can be there, but it's just, he hasn't really had that much effect. Oh, he has a bit, but he has it's effects, cool. really, but it's not really very efficient. Just another thing. 
sauver avec ce corona COVID-19. They ask us to the best way to, because they don't have anything they can offer us, apart from prophylactic thing, which work really well. You try not to travel too much. You try not to be in contact with too many people. And you tend to, if you cough, you tend to cough into your elbow. You can cough in your elbow or into an handkerchief. And then you put it back into your pocket. That thing. Try not to touch people too much around their faces and orifices, if you can. And then wash your hands. That's the advice from the World Health Organization. That's it. Sounds very sensible. That's it. Very sensible and very efficient. Mm. But we can see we can have the first thing they're going to do if it becomes a bit of a problem in the UK, they're going to close all the schools. Because children are. They don't wash their hands. Oh, yeah. We're talking about worms in the office this week. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think um, Gary's. One of the people who I work with said. Yeah. They got a letter about lice and then a letter about worms. And now they've just had another letter about coronavirus and how they're worried. Or they suspect a student has travelled somewhere affected. Yeah. So it's like, that's it. It's a bit loose. Yeah, and it's a bit difficult because it's very, very contagious. And it's actually having a bit of a long incubation period. So it takes a little while for you to develop symptoms. Mm. It's a bit the tricky part, really. Because if, if it was like Ebola, you'd be shitting and puking and coughing blood in no time, really. So you won't go in the plane and go all the way across the world to bring it back somewhere. You don't have time, basically. That's a great. That's a beauty. It stays that little bit. Yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it. I, um, I watched, a, I saw a post from our friend um, Navi Ekula, and he was like, he was like, you, you have to have your shit sorted out and, you know, do things that your body's meant to be met, like, made to do. Uh, because if it isn't a coronavirus, something else is going to come around and it's going to get you. Yeah. He was like, and by the way, just doing your deep breathing isn't going to help you either. <laughs> Yeah, it's like okay, me. Yeah. So uh, to save ourselves from catching any future virus, we will need to start adopting the, the functional patterns method. No, it's a good, great uh, way of doing the whole muscular wellness and from an osteopathic point of view. Is great, you know. Yeah, the pathology is arises when there is imbalance into the musculoskeletal system. That's what osteopathy mm-hmm. is, really. So, now did a square good job with his functional pattern and the way he goes about and how asymmetrically he has people working and all the different spiral lines and all the different lines he's using, lateral line in order to try to functionally rehabilitate people, really. But, because <clears throat> that's the thing, really. Um, it's great to do that, really, but... Um, Whilst you're at the gym, you don't earn money, really. Unless you're called Nardi Aguilar, basically. People have to sit in the office. They have to uh, do desk work. They have to work at the, in the factory. They have to work in whatever they do, really. 
So the main thing is to mitigate the effect the, your activity is having on your body, basically. And that's the main thing, really. And you need to mitigate as well the effect the, your environment is having on your mind and the change in your environment. So the whole thing about that virus coming is a change in environment again, really. So it's less safe. So people who are very worried about safety tend to be more stressed. And if you're more stressed, you get less uh, cortisol. And if you get less cortisol, well, you're less able to actually cope with inflammation. And not only cortisol, there's all the DHEA, all the different hormones of your uh, adrenal gland, and it tends to affect your immune system. And, uh, that's what stress does, really. Whether it's a mechanical stress, because not only you're stressed at work, but it, uh, mentally, but you're stressed physically. And your physical stress prevents you, or so it seems, some people tend to withdraw away from physical activity, which uh, tends to give them loads of pos positivity, really. Loads of togetherness. The whole thing with Naudi is to have a, a community of people. It's giving you a bit of control. It's all those things, really. So it's great, really. I think it's, it's, ex it's excellent, really. Mm. Yeah, that's actually why. That's exactly what what well, I think and the reason why I brought it up in like a little bit of a cheeky way was because mm -hmm. he, he granted I've never heard him talk about functional patterns in a long format yeah, yeah, yeah. like a podcast for example you yeah, just yeah. get tiny little snippets on yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's quite um, it feels to me like he maybe hasn't or does he, at least he doesn't talk about all the other benefits Mm -hmm. That functional pattern, that, have, like, it, like you know, it gives people a massive amount of competence. Thing, like, when his method actually works, mm -hmm. like his way of treating the body yeah. has some. There's some videos that I need to show you if you mm -hmm. haven't seen them on um, kids, and I think now some adults have cerebral palsy, mm -hmm. and he's got them from not being hardly being able to walk by themselves, mm -hmm. or in some cases not. Yeah. No, it's not even him. Like yeah. it's it's some of his, his the trainers that he's taught have yeah. had these his clients, yeah. and now they're they're walking. They're able to box jump, mm -hmm. like a small box jump, mm -hmm. throw things, mm -hmm. and like open their hand fully or put their thumb up and things mm -hmm. like this. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes the like it would be quite interesting if maybe he's aware of this. If he started talking about all the other things like mm -hmm. the competence, like the community, mm -hmm. and. Also, I think from having gone see uh, functional patterns, um, uh, personal training myself a mm -hmm. few times, mm -hmm. they have like a really nice ability to to um, not even though they've got they've spent a lot of money in some case, in most cases to learn this new thing. Mm -hmm. And this guy in Bristol, mm -hmm. Bobby Filer, mm -hmm. he he's flown out to Hawaii twice. Mm -hmm. That's going to cost him a lot of money. I think mm -hmm. he's younger than me. Mm -hmm. And, but they have a really nice ability just to like meet you at the, at the you know the mat as they say and you're mm -hmm. like and and there's no like higher status or like loads of control and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot going on there. That's mm -hmm. more than just mm -hmm. figuring out some good movements mm -hmm. following Mister Mister Meyer's anatomy trains mm -hmm. or Jonda or Vlaming or all those guys who've uh, looked at all those kind of things, really, like physical rehabilitation. But remember, a lot of it is voluntarily engaging with your problem as well. That's one very big and important thing, really. So 
some people don't want to be defined by certain limitations and the diagnosis of cerebral palsy is not the same. So um, I have got a patient who's really a great runner and she's, she was meant to go to the Paralympics at one stage. I'm not too sure if it's going to happen, but um, Commonwealth Games or national, national level. And she's actually cycling at the moment, but she used to run and she was running uh, 100 meters, 200 meters. That's it. And then that's it. Some people are really bound by their limitation and others are almost free by the limit, their limitation. Really. So it depends how you engage it really. And yeah, great to do it with now this way. It's, bri- it's brilliant really. However, you're going to do it as long as you really engage willfully into the whole world, I think it's great. Another problem is diagnosis is really, the medical diagnosis doesn't reflect at all your experience of the disease. Really. So from one person to another, it's going to affect them differently. Really. But the same really. So, yeah, it's, it's, so with COVID-19, with coronavirus, yeah, 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 yeah. Is, there is a problem with diagnosis from one one way of looking at it, but for example, with something like that, even though everyone's experience is going to be different, yeah, it's yeah. really handy. Well, yeah, that's, 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 that's a virus here, so I think it's I think it's people's lungs, it's people's breathing, it's people's stress, and it's people's vitality as well. Because if it's a new virus, so we see about the with the mortality uh, curve, and when you look at age groups, there's virtually no newborn or infant to die. But, uh, and middle-aged people die a fair bit, but uh, elderly die even more, really. So that's a bit the whole, the whole jig with that one, really. So, mm-hmm. but I, was, I was just making the point, a slightly different point. It's more chronic, it's more chronic diagnos- diagnosis. That's quite an acute... Like COVID-19 is going to be an acute thing, really. And yeah. your state of health and how you engage with the world on a daily basis, regardless of COVID-19, even if you're really healthy, you'll catch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, really. And the way it's going to affect you and how it's going to floor you, uh, some people, yeah, their glass is half empty, so it's quite difficult, really. And others, their glasses are full, so they'll bounce back, and it's fine, really. So, because we don't hear too much about all the people who've actually had it and they're much better. We've not really heard about those people. But the same way, the media is only talking to you about people who die, really. Which is horrible, really. But people experience of the whole lot and how they felt, all those kind of things, really. So that's something we don't talk about really too much. Mm. That's the main problem with the media. So it doesn't reassure many people, really. Because all the years that people die, between one and two percent, but like the epidemiology is a bit early to tell, and we know that uh, uh, really clearly in 50 years' time, when we've had all the data and somebody crunched it again and again, and we'll do exactly really. But the same, really, it looks like it's uh, a bit more tricky for elderly than it is for younger people. So the older you are, the more tricky it is for you. And, and that's it really. But yeah, I'm really sure there's a lot of elderly people who have who catch a virus who have no who don't die as well. That's the thing really. So even if it's fourteen percent of people over the age of ninety who die, 
ja, så var de jordet i as well. Så det er noget, vi har bare tænkt, at ordet er godt lidt vitalitet, er godt, det er det, det er det, det Breathing exercises are really quite interesting for that because the main thing is your lung and your lung is going to secrete more mucus and the more mucus you're going to secrete, the more you're going to be coughing and the more you're going to cough, the more congested you're going to be, the more anaerobic your lung is going to be. So the least oxygen is going to be in your lung. So the least uh, exchange you're going to have with uh, with the air, basically, so you're going to be a little bit more less saturated in oxygen, and if you're less saturated in oxygen, you function less well, all the rest really. So, doing bubbling, so with a straw into a glass of water, to really try to breathe out as deep as you can, really gently and steadily, without co- uh, producing a coughing reflex, is really a good, uh, good solution. Run, run through that again, so, so we have the... When you blow, like uh, playing a wind instrument, if you were playing the saxophone or the clarinet or whatever, or the trombone, you have to uh, you have to empty your lung in a steady fashion, basically, and that prevents you from actually coughing. So actually, to blow bubbles through a straw into water in a glass, so you take a straw and you blow bubbles and you empty your lung very. Uh, slowly, a bit 7-Eleven again, you're gonna, on top of it, you're going to expire for a much longer expire. You're going to have a longer expiration than inspiration, and therefore it's going to actually settle you a bit uh, in your parasympathetic, but it's going to actually prevent you from coughing. And if you don't cough, because that's the whole thing, really, the coughing is preventing you from actually uh, emptying and filling your lung, really. So that's quite a good way of actually going about doing it. It's a good prophylactic way. But make sure you don't use plastic straws. Yeah, by then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bamboo straws. Yeah. Whatever straws. Metal, metal paper, whatever. As long as you don't fall on your metal straw and impale yourself, you can sue the straw, the metal straw thing because it's not returned that you. Can impale yourself. No, no, no. Yeah, you, you can do that as well. You can have vegan straws, I'm sure. But it doesn't really matter what kind of straw you have. Just if, do some If you have some old, good, dirty plastic ones, you can actually do it and it works really well as well. Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting way. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Rather than going about the and it's not as if now he doesn't believe in breathing because on his 10-week course that I got, he, uh, on all the myofascial stuff, he does a lot of uh, Wim Hof breathing and he really, really enjoys it. But I, I guess, as you were saying, yeah. which it didn't really clock for me, the main thing he's probably getting at is you need to have a, you need to have a healthy overall body, like you know, freeing up areas so that the drainage is all... Well, and remember, all your intercostals are part of your lateral line, and your front, your anterior longitudinal lines, and your posterior line, all the deep posterior muscles, all the 
or the whole thing really. We uh, do a lot with the large intestine because that's great if you're constipated, you black mad, when it's going to hold your diaphragm down, all the rest really. This is quite a lot really. There's more to it, but it's a great way for people with different ailments and different limitations to engage actively into the world lot really. And I said that's the great stuff really. Because when you do that, you got a plan, you got some dopamine, then you got tools and you get equipped with the whole lot, so you got plenty of serotonin and apparently exercising gives you endorphin as well, really. So you get rewarded from the whole lot, really. So all good really. Yeah. It's not really a it's a small plan, it's good. Mm. We need bigger plans, really. It's like, it needs to be part of a bigger plan. We need a life plan, really, but you know, that's a bit more difficult to get, really. Yeah, takes going on more people alive. Going on holiday in the sun and sun lounging and waiting six months to go in the sun in the February because it's horrible weather. That's not really a life plan, really, in a way, really. That's the one thing. And exercising every week is great, but it's not a life plan, really. Unless it is. Unless, you know, you're life plan is to do functional patterns, open up a gym and help oh, well, that's, it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, because we, we all need to exercise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, exercise yeah, yeah. two and a half hours a week. Yeah. yeah. Mild exercise. Yeah. It's very so good. it can be, it's, like you said, it's a small plan. Mm-hmm. It could be part of the bigger plan. Mm-hmm. And it can either, even be a really important part of the bigger plan because just in the practice of being having a routine, let's say, mm-hmm. two and a half hours a week, yeah. like an hour or 45 minutes for mm-hmm. three or four days, yeah. and that, getting up in time, getting yourself organized for it, yeah. and then doing it, and then maybe feeling a bit more alive, maybe yeah, going to make some other changes, that's that it. will come to the bigger plan. That's it, that's it, that's it. No, it's good, it's good. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting way. And as long as it's um, done in a really, really full and intentional fashion, I think it's a great, great way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. As well. But we'll talk more about that in our, in our course. Once we manage to give birth to it, mm-hmm. if the pelvimetry works well, we might be able to get the head out at some stage and if the shoulders are not too broad, the restitution phase might be quite smooth and the rest will come out naturally with gravity. <laughs> I was if it comes out the wrong way. You might get bridged a bit. <laughs> that would be a little bit less comfortable for sure. Yeah. We might need some kind of epidural, but we'll be fine. And maybe an episiotomy as well. But that's another story. Come <laughs> to that when it happens, if it happens. That's it, that's it, that's it. Not great. And then, so you wanted to talk about a bit of cosmology, didn't you? Well, yeah, yeah. cosmology and astrophysics, or yeah. even maybe even quantum physics. Quantum physics, oh my god. That's well, I mean, some of the stuff I've been listening to this week has been there's a guy called Eric Weinstein, yeah. who I think you should listen to. Yeah. He's probably he's like he's one of my favorite podcasters or just talkers mm-hmm. because he's a physicist. I think, I think he's a physicist. Mm-hmm. He isn't tied to any university anymore. I think he was and now isn't. And now he just kind of talks about quantum theories. Um, yeah, I listened to one between him and Sir Roger Penrose. And I mean, 
not that I understand much about quantum physics, but I think I understood about three percent of the conversation. But it was just it was really interesting because he he's got like um he believes that we've extracted a lot of very useful and literal information from science, mm-hmm. and he's like now I think we need to we need to uh, inject a bit more mysticism back in there. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about all sorts of different types of mathematical numbers. I can't remember. Obviously, we are imaginary, and then it went on from there. And then he was also talking about twisters and spin theory. And it was just all a little bit nuts. But I like how he's really well-read, super smart guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I think we need to inject some... Somehow we need to come up with a, a united story with some mysticism or something. And I was like, I don't know, for me, quite, quite like that. Yeah, because we talked about the um, axioms of science being a little bit like, you know, the building block of stories, really. So the word mysticism is a bit that as well. They are certain set ways about things, and it's a bit a different way to go about to try to describe the world around us, really. And it's interesting, and science has gone quite far into uh, finding the, its limitations, really. Mm. I think they are there. They have found the limitation. We still don't quite know, I don't know, in cosmology, we don't know, we know only about 4% of what the universe is made of, really. So that's becoming quite tricky, really, because there's only 4% bionic matter, there's 23% dark matter, and it's 73% dark energy, and we got no freaking clue what that is. So that's quite interesting. So yeah. we live in a world who is meant to be described in a scientific fashion, and we've got 96% of it that we don't know what it's made of. To be able to, de- to, be able to correlate what our theoretical knowledge to our observation, because we've, we've been in a great since the 1990s, we've been in a a great era of uh, discoveries at a multi-wavelength thing, so maybe I talked about in another podcast about that, but all the different, we've correlated different objects in uh, in radio wave, microwave, uh, deep infrared, infrared, uh, light, visible light, and then you go into ultraviolet, and you go into X-ray, you go into gamma ray, all sorts of um, things. So we've sent a lot of observatory in space and on Earth, and we've created them in different remote places, like the Atacama, or on top of volcanoes in Hawaii, or in the Canaries, or even in John Well, I can't remember the name, in, in, uh, in the UK, there's a very good uh, radio astronomy site. In the UK, so everybody is really piling all the information together and we start to get a bit of an idea about loads of things, really, in a way. And that's to look at the infinitely big, really. Um, we still don't know Zlich, really. And you look in the quantum theory and then it's gone into many different theories which is great, really, and the observation is starting to be done, really. And we still have a few problems with uh, simple stuff like information. 
where is information really? Why? How is it created? Time, space, how is it created? How is it come about? And what's the information about there really? And, you know, string theory or whatever the whole latest brand of it really. And the scientific method is going to be able to narrow down which of the theories are actually um, valid or the best representation of reality. But uh, still, we still don't know, really. Or we know there's a, like, a plank, the plank distance, which is 10 to the minus 35 ex- exponent. I'm not even sure how we say that in English, because I'm not of math in English. To the power, to the power of exponent. exponent really. Yes, yeah, of 35. Is that plank's constant? No, no, plank distance. Oh. So that's the smallest distance we can find all the rest, really. So, yeah, it's good. We've, we've got a bit of an idea about the visible uh, universe and we got an idea about the shape and size of the universe and how small things is, all those kind of things, really, in light of all the uh, cos- like cosmonic, the microwave background radiation, mm. all those kind of things. We've been able to extract quite a lot of information about anisotropy, uh, the fact that it's all the different com- physical constants are the same everywhere at most of the times in throughout the universe time. So that becomes quite interesting, you see. Maybe not maybe during the inflation, I'm not too exactly sure. That, that period where the universe has really shot in size really fast. But yeah, yeah. Is, is that what we're in now? No, no, we're in an accelerated uh, expansion. And that's not inflation? No, inflation was uh, much, much more closer to the Big Bang, the, the singularity. But the, but the expansion of the inflation was a lot slower than it is now, right? No, we are in an expansion that is much slower than the expansion during the inflation. But it is accelerating the one that we're in now. Yeah, but the inflation was accelerating really, really fast as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's slowed down. So it was really small and then we become really big, really fast. And it's getting bigger, faster now, but not as fast. It's speeding up again. Yeah, because that's what they were talking about with regards to everyone thinks about gravity pulling. Yeah. But obviously, there's the part of gravity that repels or something. Well, yeah, that's it, that's it. Like, was it anti-gravity? The, the, the dark energy. Oh, is that Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. And then, obviously, in space. That's it. It's with different distances, all those things. I think it's a bit mind-boggling, but um, to unify the quantum mechanic and the cosmological aspect of it and the whole infinitely big and infinitely small, we're going to have to add other things. Cause so after, there's another big problem. So the problem about information is one big problem. There's entanglement. What is the problem with information? As in, pe- as in people storing or recording information in a unified way? Yeah, what is information? No information from the news. No information from the news. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not really, but like, let's say, let's not say, really information. Let's say a white paper, like, a, like I've, I've, I've observed something, I've tested it, and I've put it out. Yeah, yeah, no, no, even that. It's information. 
what makes information information. That's a bit the one peculiar thing, really. Yeah, yeah that's quite a bit of a concept, really. So this what makes space space, what makes time time, and what makes information. How do we extract information from that? So this entanglement, you got like an electron or a photon or whatever you want to take, and you split it into two particles, which have been, and then you influence one. They, they, they come from the same particle, you split them, you take two quarks, for example, mm. who are part of a, a proton, and you take them, you separate them, so they were in the same environment to start with, and you, you change one, and then the other one instantly changes as well. So there's information that is passed between the two particles faster than the speed of light. Whatever the distance is, is going to happen instantly. Okay? That's called entanglement. And we, and we don't know how it works. We don't, we don't understand why, how, it, why, how. Okay? That's quite interesting. Part of it, really. Because it's quite interesting. Because there's, there's a consciousness part of it as well. Mm. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a bit the whole problem, really. So, because we, we face some really pretty, we still don't know what consciousness is, really, as well. So, because uh, obviously, horses being an equinoceopath, they don't seem to be very preoccupied by how big the universe is and how small the Planck distance is. Okay? They are not too interested. So, the, there's something quite special about the whole evolutionary process that led to us becoming conscious or being conscious and being preoccupied by time. Because we are preoccupied by time. Mm. The thing, the horse sees the sun go down and he's not freaking out where he's going to be, how is he going to be pushed under the flat disk of the earth in the salty water. And when he sees it coming back up in the morning, he's like, oh, it's today again. It's a succession of two days, really. Compared to us, it's not quite that, really. So the finitude of, yeah, there's quite a special something about, about that. And, and I guess all those questions, because we've pushed the whole thing so far, there might be a unifying pattern behind it, in a way. There's, there's a template who must be a bit the same, and all those things being peeled off that one template, and then we see all the puzzle, but we need to bring it back to the one piece, in a way. You see what I mean, really? Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's been unraveled from that. Mm-hmm. So, there's quite a lot. And uh, Joe, uh, and I can't pretend to know how to, how to articulate it very well, uh, still, really, but I'm really interested in that theory of relaton and soliton from uh, Joe Griffin and Ivan Tavel because it's, it's actually respecting a lot of the physical laws, the laws of physics. And it's uh, coming from a bit of a um, uh, neuropsychological point of view, in a way. So, because why would it be physicists who can answer those kind of questions? Really? Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. The, the thing, really, it's uh, a, 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 a plumber, a plumbing could be where the whole solution is going to come out of, <laughs> or, or um, baking bread could be the solution of the whole thing, really. It's quite 
not as such, but yeah. more image of it. That's why there's a creation, you transform something, there's a, an alchemical type thing. So to go back to that mysticism type thing, it's quite an interesting uh, thing. When you, our brain doesn't even work like the physicists use their brain. Really. We, we've, been, we've been forced to use our brain that way. We don't function like that at all, really. We look into, yeah, we look at the, um, what the whole thing is going to be used for, rather than seeing it first, in a way. So it's completely a bit bonkers, really. So, uh, we, so we don't yes. know about our consciousness as well. So that's a pro- big, big problem as well. Um, you know about Georges Lemaitre? Mm-hmm. So Georges Lemaitre was a chamois, so he was a religious man at the time of uh, uh, Einstein. What's a chamois? Chamois is like a, a monk okay. from Belgium. That's it. He was doing beer quite a lot. And he was a very good mathematician. And he ran all the um, equation of Einstein and looking at the, because it's a cosmological constant. So we were talking about knowledge is something that you can use and belief is something that uses you a little bit, okay? So the mysticism is quite an interesting thing to add into physics, according to your, the guy you've been listening to, just quite an interesting way of doing it because Einstein was actually very scientific but he was actually quite bigoted as well. He wanted the universe to be uh, stable and not changing and immutable. What was that? Or he, he, he wanted it not to change. Yeah. Okay? What was that? Immutable. Yeah. That must be a French word. Okay? And so he introduced a constant which is actually not constant, in the way. <laughs> well, it's constant, but it's not really the one he had put, really, okay? He had put it in in order to skew the equation for them to represent his view of reality, okay? And the chanoine, which is a religious man, should be a bit biased by his religion, but actually he wasn't at all, and he ran the whole thing with different constants in order to see what, what the possibilities really. So he could see an universe who was going to uh, uh, collapse back on itself. He could see an universe that was going to be uh, uniform and so a constant in one. If the constant was one, the, the universe would be all flat and, and not moving and stay the same, all those kind of things, okay? And then he could see an universe expanding if the constant was super, uh, inferior to one or super to one, whatever it is, really. So it made, it changed a bit the variable or that constant and it va- varied the constant in order to create different scenarios, really. Okay? And then Hubble. So we, a- we attribute the whole thing to Hubble and Mr. Hubble used one of the ma- um, biggest telescopes in the world at the time to observe different galaxies and he looked at redshifts. So Doppler FISO effect. So when the ambulance goes, it's coming close to you, the pitch starts to get higher, and then when it gets away from you, the pitch gets lower. Okay? So the speed of the ambulance shrinks the wavelength of the sound, which makes it a higher pitch, the frequency gets higher. So it's a higher pitch, and when it goes away, it stretches the wavelength of the sound and it makes it a lower pitch. Okay? That's Doppler effect. Okay? 
with the moving target or moving source. With light, it becomes it's the same. And galaxies are uh, being observed, and Hubble started to observe the whole lot with other people. I think there's Barnard, there's uh, Chaplin, there's all those kind of guys who looked at all those things. They made uh, first pictures in the late 1800s, early 1900s, all the pictures, the, stars, the, few spect- the first spectrums. So they split the light to look at the absorption lines and all sorts of things. They look at variable stars. They started to do quite loads of the scientific recording. And all of a sudden, they were like, whoa, problem. It looks like actually some of the objects are going away from us. And some of the objects are looking like they're coming towards us. So some objects were looking a bit bluer. And some objects were looking a bit redder. And when you did a bit of, uh, um, when you were gathering information from different galaxies, you were noticing that most of them were going away from you. So the whole distance between, well, I'm not sure the distance between things, but the, the space between things was actually being stretched. Yeah, because the distance doesn't change, really, but the space in between expands. That's a bit the whole space-time continuum. It's not, it's not, anyway, it's quite interesting. It's a bit of a different way of looking at it, really. And Hubble discovered that, which actually put the spanner into the work of Einstein, because he had put his constant in the whole lot, really. And he was like, whoa, shit, observations are actually telling us the whole thing is expanding and it's not static, basically. Okay? Well, actually, and we never talked much about Le Maître too much because he was a bit of a religious person. But actually, he was, and he's a, a Belgian guy. <laughs> but he's really, he was really on top of his game and he knew exactly about the whole and he had envisioned the whole thing. And when it's expanding, well, it comes from one point. So we talked about singularity again there. So we talked about, that's the first introduction of the Big Bang. I think it's somebody, who was it who, actually somebody who wasn't too really, I think it's some, uh, was it Garoff? Or, or, uh, or somebody who was criticizing the work of Garoff and he talked about the Big Bang as a joke. And then he triggered the whole thing really. Okay. So there's like singularities. It comes from the one point. It comes from the one pattern one pattern of information and then the whole thing expands and then it splits into all those patterns basically. The reliton and the soliton Which yeah, so it's freaking mind-boggling and historically, yeah, we've been at it and it's so it was in 1915, 1916, or well, that not too sure. And then in 1998 we we realized that it was in an accelerated expansion. So we refined even more the measurements with Cepheids and supernova surveys. So we, we recorded different supernovas, loads of them, and we observed an, an accelerated expansion. I think it's 1998, so it's not really long ago, really. So it's like 22 years ago. Oh no, almost 30 years ago. No, no, not in the end. Yes, that's it, that's it, that's it. Hmm. 22 years ago, yeah. So it's very, very recently. 
basically. So between 1915, where the like, general relativity and all the observation in the 1920s, maybe, where Hubble does uh, all the whole observation, from 1920 to 1998, we've been crunching numbers and trying to get the whole lot to try to refine a bit that, that constant. Again, really. And then... Uh, it's in the 1980s it was starting to look like there was so much more to the Schmelblicks and made the eye really so all what we can see in different wavelengths so not even with our eye but when we extrapolate over the over the magnetic spectrum uh, there's so much more than that that's the whole thing really and we can see its effect on the whole thing and for it to accelerate at that speed they need to be another mass so the dark inner, dark matter is really what's on the battery really. but is it need to be something pulling things apart because the dark matter is going to bring things in and the dark energy is going to pull it apart really and it's being pulled apart at the moment anyway it's it's mind-boggling all that it's you need to I've read quite a lot about um, so people who do vulgarization or people who bring it to the people a little, you know. Um, so there's Jean-Pierre Luminet, who's a very, very good uh, uh, guy. And there's Hubert Reeves as well, who's a Canadian, actually. So he's, he's written quite a lot in, uh, in, uh, in uh, English and uh, in French. And Jean-Pierre Luminet is a French guy. And, uh, yeah, and there's Carl Sagan as well. You want to, like, all those guys with all the Voyager and all the different things. There's a very interesting thing about comets. Comets is one of the best books about comets. <laughs> it's excellent. Why? It's, what's interesting about comets? What's interesting about comets? Mm -hmm. One, they look beautiful. And mm -hmm. two, they are, they've got different materials on them who's going to sublimate at different distance to the sun. And there's different areas where they can come from, from the Hort cloud, from the Kuiper belt, from the asteroid belt. There's really short period one, very long period one, and there's hyperbolic ones which are coming from maybe outside the solar system. So we've seen two uh, objects like that now. We've recorded two objects who were actually outside the, coming from outside the solar system. And do they have like different elements on them? Uh, or, by or turns out, well, out of two, it's a bit difficult to tell. Uh, one didn't really, I think the spectrum was a bit peculiar, but the other one was degassing. So it was uh, getting a little plume. Um, um, Borisov, or I can't remember the name of the little, the, uh, it's 2P or 2 1, 2E, 2E. Two I, two I, the name of the thing. There was one I, the first one, the first interplanetary one, and this one is a inter interstellar one, and then the second interstellar one, and it decast a bit at the when it came in close proximity to the sun, and some of the gases were able to be uh, used with spectrographs to try to record the the whole light curve and get an idea about the different isotopes of oxygen and carbon, all thing in order to correlate it with what we've got in our solar system. But obviously. 
do we go into nucleosynthesis? Because that's another uh, story which is quite interesting. So you're like, oh yes, let's do that. How, how the gold and the silver, how the gold and the plutonium is created. So people who've got rings, the gold in your ring cannot be produced in a fusion process of a star. So stars are going to have at most iron the heaviest atom from hydrogen that is going to be fused. So they tend to gather protons and neutrons together to get heavier and heavier atoms in a fusion matrix or, or, or furnace of stars is going to only iron. It's only when the star is exploded into a supernova that you can get heavier elements. So the gold onto people's What's ring. Because of the energy, right? Yeah, because of the energy and the pressure, the temperature, exactly. So the gold into people's ring has been created in a supernova. Okay? It's been forged. The alchemical process of transforming different atoms and bringing them together to make gold is happened in a supernova explosion. Okay? The sun is a a third generation of stars is population one, we call it. And the population three would be the latest one, the first ones. So it was like first stars from the, after the Big Bang are created. They are ginormous. I mean, ginormous. And they are very short lived. Okay. But they are mostly, they are 19, the Big Bang creates 99% hydrogen. Uh, 0.9% helium and 0.1% lithium. The lithium people take when they have mental health problems is coming from mostly the Big Bang. The element has been created in the Big Bang. Anyway, that's another story. We love lithium. Some of us do. Mind you, we're taking people away from lithium, but anyway. And so that first generation brings the things together and tries to create heavier atoms and then it explodes. So it creates more heavier atoms and then a gas is created and a cloud of gas is coalescing again with gravity and it, cre and it reignites another, a second generation of star, which has got more impurities, more ashes. The ashes from the first uh, thing are heavier atoms. So they've got a bit of oxygen, a bit of uh, carbon, a bit of uh, uh, nitrogen, a bit of all sorts, okay? And silicium, all the rest, okay? And then it's uh, being crunched again, and they are a bit more longer-lived, they are less massive, and then they come to the end of their life, boof, they explode again. And then they create heavier atoms, all those kind of things, and gold, uranium, all sorts of things, okay? And... Uh, so it explodes into a planetary nebula, usually. So there's a gas cloud around it. And that gas cloud tends to coalesce again. And that's the sun. The sun is a byproduct of three generations of stars. Okay? We, we are the third generation of stars. And the ashes and the leftover from the whole furnace is the Earth. That's it. The silicas, all the, all the oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, all the lot, all what we are made of is a leftover of that. Okay? Which is, is quite a lot, really. From the, from the cloud. Okay? 
and gravity does its job. Uh, Jupiter is created, all Saturn, all the gas giants, and the telluric planets in the middle, really. And then on that planet, bombarded for million, billions of years, this water was brought by comets and asteroids, and from that water, perfect solvent, bling, 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 like some kind of replicating uh, organisms start to uh, happen. So your DNA and the process in your DNA is um, yeah, 3 billion year old really. And, that, and then all the evolution of that DNA to uh, bring the person who looks at the show and, and understand what the freak is happening really. Which is completely bonkers really so yes we come from our dopamine comes from uh, um, uh, uh, triploblastics we go from diploblastic to triploblastics we get a, a, a mesoderm we get something that moves us and we get orientated in the world to go from A to B dopamine is important great but before that there's no freaking the DNA has to be there to be able to be replicated and done and then um, life to be created really some kind of really interesting thing but um, there's no that before the two first generation of stars who've actually uh, made the small elements into heavier elements because uh, your hemoglobin is made with iron so all the iron from your hemoglobin come from stars all the I mean it's all the selenium all the I don't know all the copper all the all the different things in your immune system and the enzymatic stuff in your um, uh, white blood cells is coming from freaking supernovas man and without supernovas there's no complex life for sure so there's some some kind of there's some kind of weird shit happening, really, for us to be able to look at the movie and, and, and be able to understand that it's a movie, really. Because, obviously, the horse is, is no movie yet. There's only images, and then same image the next day, and then the same image the next day, and then the same... Crudely put that, put like that, because, obviously, the horse is conscious, in a way. Okay. They learn stuff, so yeah, of yeah, course yeah. they hold on to that's it. That's it, that's it, that's it. They have a part of it. They have a part of it, yeah. exactly. But uh, they don't. They are not super interested in movies. We are quite interested in movies, and the main problem is 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 it all there for us to be able to enjoy? <laughs> enjoy. I'm saying enjoying really. There's a pleasure part of it behind it really, and or pleasure or there's a emotion out of it really how does emotion comes into play really into that really how is it if you're not there you play a movie is there really a movie when you're not there to watch it <laughs> or you're not conscious of watching it I think it becomes quite peculiar stuff so mm. that we go back to all that shenanigan really it's Nucleosynthesis is quite an interesting one. Um, what's his name? The um, guy on TV, uh, the young physicist on TV. Brian Cox. Brian Cox did, did a very good uh, thing about nucleosynthesis like that. It's really quite interesting, really. And he vulgarizes it really well. He brings it to 
You know, like when you look at your gold ring or your platinum ring, well, it ain't happening without a supernova. So it was created in a freaking, the biggest, um, not biggest bang, because it's gamma ray burst, but like, you know. And then he has this black holes coalescing, which is pretty much bonkers as well. But yeah. <laughs> There's all that, really. Space-time, all the rest, and saying it's, it becomes quite... It's all pretty much All bonkers. pretty much bonkers, really. And, and the scientific method has helped us to really rationalize the whole thing. But we are missing a lot of it by rationalizing it, really. In that way? In that way, really. So bringing mysticism is interesting, but is it, really? That's what... Um Again, I think it's Eric Weinstein on another podcast that I listened to ages ago where he was saying that these, I think I'm right in saying, these singularities, this idea with all these theories coming from it, it was like there's a lot of physicists going back to these singularities and trying to figure out different paths out. Or obviously if someone could f- figure out a new, sing- new singularity, then that would be great. But there's they've gone in a certain trajectory mm-hmm. and they just like learn learn learn, learn scientific method scientific yeah, method but yeah, with yeah. quantum physics yeah it's all kind of reached almost its its end point on everything like yeah, no one's yeah. really come up with anything new that's so it, saying it. like going back to these and maybe trying to mm-hmm. but as you say i think it's quite an interesting idea to to uh entertain that potentially physicists and the way that they work and the way that they interact with the scientific method mm-hmm. maybe these people I'm not saying that obviously you're not saying they're not going to be the people who find out some more answers from it of course but maybe the the very way that their brain works uh-huh. might might not be the in tune uh-huh. with what we how we need to approach it mm-hmm. or the way we use our brain yeah because that's the main thing really yeah that's, yeah, that's the way we are pushed to use our brain yeah. in a way really it's more precise with more, what you're saying that, mm, yeah because that's that's a bit that really so um the queen of england is not elizabeth because elizabeth is the person really but she impersonates the queen and the queen comes with different attributes that are uh, that's what she does is she represents the state and uh, and that's what the state is on about really so it's all coming with that really and most of us know more or less what it's on about really if we've not come from planet zorg really we are all been brought up like that really and that's uh, what we have in our head really so you know like um, our mind is made of people really we have to contend with others, really, and um, what a woman is, really. We need to. I have to contend with what a man and a woman is, really. I have to contend with what a, a, a boss is. I have to contend with what a client is. I have to contend with all those things. That's what I interact with, really. That's what I do things with, really, and and that that's quite an important thing to remember really we 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 see the tool before we see the object in a way and that's really almost a bit bonker to almost think about it like that really there's, there's some i i think i'm a little bit lost yes that's it that's yeah. it that's it it is quite it, it loses us a little bit really so i like the idea of seeing the tool before the object mm-hmm. 
because we see the tool is almost a more complete description of what the object is. Mm-hmm. Like it's the object is kind of just the physicality, mm-hmm. unless the object has been named, unless you're calling an object by its name, which mm-hmm. is its tool. Mm-hmm. So therefore the object has been, the tool precedes the ob- the object. The mm-hmm. object comes after the tool. Mm-hmm. That make, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, again, I know we've spoken about the left and the right side of the brain and maybe a bit more of a, dare, dare I say, patriarchal, matriarchal way of doing. Mm-hmm. And I think a, t- a tool in some ways is kind of equal patriarchal and matriarchal it's not just like mm-hmm. the scientific method uh-huh, uh-huh. it's Only like very patriarchal it's like a, yeah. yeah it's like the story and how that's developed over time and mm-hmm. maybe changed over time mm-hmm. which is kind of creative innovative and a bit more mm-hmm. dare i say matriarchal again mm-hmm. very basic way of sort of right brained yeah mm-hmm. right brain mm-hmm. Yeah, and we go back to the resources we had with that uh, human givens, and the imagination is really an interesting one. But the rational mind is an interesting one as well, really. We need facts a little bit with, in the society we're in, really. But we act. I quite like that phenomenological way of doing and approaching it, really. You. Um, you act it before being conscious of it as well, in a way. You have to act it before being conscious of it because uh, we are always interested in pain, all those kind of stuff, really. That's like way. the Confucius Chinese proverb uh, of I hear and I forget, uh-huh. I see and I remember, uh-huh. I do and I understand. And understand. You act it before you need you're to conscious act of it. it before you need to be, you're going to be conscious of it, in a way, okay? And. And that's, that was, you know, I was talking to, I said I was talking to my two friends, Adam and Lewis, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I can tell it's, it's like, I can't wait to spend more time with them and talk more because our, our conversation got in, interrupted and we we're all just, I think, I hope they're having as much fun as I was. Yeah. And I could tell that <laughs> they're, they're, you know, them going away to India and doing their thing. They, Lewis was, that was his second retreat this one was for much longer before he'd done it for a week and you can tell like he he gets it like whatever it is that they're doing out there he really he, he gets it pretty well uh-huh. and it's quite an interesting thing when you're trying to you come back and you're full of it because you really get it and it's like you you see the the light or something the enlightenment or whatever mm-hmm. and and you're like this has had such a profound effect on my life uh-huh. i was I was once down and now, or I was once blind and now I can see. Uh-huh. And it's like, it's such a big thing yeah. that you want to sing it from the rooftops. Yeah. And obviously that's really difficult because uh-huh. you can't just tell someone something. They have to act it and then be conscious of it. That's it. They yeah. have to be there and do it themselves and use their body in order to decipher what the schmilblick is on about, really. Whatever the enlightenment is, really. But... You know, like we come in, we've got Swiss balls, we sit on them, all those kind of things. You can, we sit on them because we want and we face each other, all those kind of things. The set of rules that are there. If if I start to turn my back to you and then try to try to speak, it's not going to be very good. So we've got sets of rules like that that are put in place and you act according to the rule in a way. 
you don't really know the rule to start with, really. But so what's the rule about the ball, really? So when I see all my kids, my kids, my, all my kids, <laughs> as if I got a lot, I've got only two. Um, but when I see children coming into my practice and uh, they, they play with a ball, but they don't sit on it. Okay? That's a really peculiar thing, really. And when they see me sit on the ball, they're like, you can see really this is like oh wow he's acting with that tool really really differently than me really that's quite because mm -hmm. they haven't sat at the desk they haven't got the they haven't been sociabilized enough so they bounce the wall lot with their hands they jump on it they fall from it they giggle they push it with their legs those kind of, they don't think about really sitting on it um, all my patients older patients uh, oh you sit on that ball uh, around the thing they're not all, oh Alexi you're playing with it and you're dribbling around the table they're not saying that like that they straight away they know I'm going to use the whole thing to sit on it and it's a ball you know it's, it's not really it's quite peculiar really you know like the wall or the small wall you're going to sit on it or do you Because if you squat, maybe you don't. But you go to cinema. All the all the chairs are the the the, the, the cinema place or the theater is telling you what to do. The theater talks to you on how to act. That's the whole thing, really. So yes, you're watching for you to be able to watch people acting. You need to act. Uh, accordingly really so all the chairs are facing the scene and everybody's going there is there a, a quiet all those kind of things really you know the first person who's farting sideways or or emptying his bowel at the wrong time in a whole lot everybody's looking at him straight away your mobile phone goes on there's like all the eyes on, on you you're not playing the game you're you're who the freak are you really Or actually, maybe you could be a threat. So that's why we all look at you mm. in a way, because you're not playing the game, really. That's the reason why we notice that. So society bounds us with lots of. Well, we go back to conversation again. We bound with limitation, really. But uh, limitations are great because they talk to us. So the you cannot do whatever you want at a, at a theater. <laughs> that's it, really. Or oh, unless you're on a stage, and that's a different story. But the, when you're not on a stage, you have to sit, you have to watch forward, you have to be next to people that are not your friends or <laughs> thing, but you assume that they're not going to stab you in the neck or whilst you do the whole thing, really, you know? And so everybody's behaved and, and they get their social things, they inhibit certain things, certain instincts they have and things in order to follow the whole set. The whole theater presses on you for you to act in a certain fashion. It imposes the whole thing on you. You've never been to a theater, you know exactly what to do, straight away. Uh, where, where do we go? What do we do? Come on. Mm -hmm. uh, you sit on the chair, you watch that way. Even at, even at a new type of, uh, of like way of doing in a new building, yeah. whether it's like, I don't know, circus in the round or something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. it takes you no time at all to, like, especially if there's a couple of people in there already That's doing it. as you're supposed to be doing. That's you it. do it immediately. You do it immediately. And you know straight away how to act in the whole lot and it, you don't have to know the rules straight away. And, 
almost. You're, you're, you don't have to have, be conscious of the rule. You just see people acting and then you act accordingly. In a way, it's quite an interesting concept in a way. And mm. it's, that's what helps us to be with others as well. And, so. Unless you're, unless you have a mental impairment that, a, a, a mental disability. Yeah. That, that prevents you from seeing certain, picking up on certain cues. Yeah. Like if you're autos- autistic and yeah. you don't really know how to act at the, I don't know, in a church. In a church, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you may not be wise to whatever, what the whole yeah, thing is. That's it, that's it. Well. But as soon as people, all the people in the church knows that you're autistic, it doesn't matter. They, they mm. look at you, you're like, I'm autistic, everybody focuses back. The world. No longer a threat. No longer a threat. We can see that with babies going to weddings. The baby's crying. The world, and then everybody carries on as if it's normal, really. Nobody jumps on the baby and punches it to, to, to pulp, really. They don't do that, because it's a baby. And a baby cries, really. So an autistic person, yeah, you know, they're going to be a bit disinhibited and not really astute to the cue the environment is talking to them about in a way so you have to be conscious you have to act something to be conscious of it and for a number of years autism was like a bit of a thing as to whether it's just a badly behaved child or not uh-huh. and now the now there's like much more like who are about it or has been for a number of years not so much mm-hmm. nowadays because now it's accepted that it is a mm-hmm. difference of the way that they use their brain uh-huh. And so now it's like an accepted thing and more and more people have yeah. to act out that mm-hmm. and be conscious of that, mm-hmm. that it, whatever that mm-hmm. is, a disability, whatever you want to call that's it. That's it, that's it. We're so. all spectrum-y. We're on the spectrum. We're all a bit spectrum-y. That's the problem, really. So how far down the spectrum are you? How autistic are you at times? How... And that's where the Wolkatexia part of the human given again is really interesting, really. Because that's... It, it's not it's not a diagnosis but it's the way you interact with the world and it's how it resonates to you really you the autistic uh, uh, the person behaving without actually uh, being able to read the cues that the environment is telling them is catextic you cannot see the context in which you are in a way at that level okay and that's what we could classify it instead of saying you're autistic because it doesn't there's so many different things we know that Asperger's and autism is not the same but we're taking oh well it's the same thing they're all autistic right? not quite the same in a way again really so all those things are quite yeah it's quite an interesting interesting thing but yeah the world and the way it's put together informs you on how to actually behave and it, it shows you limitation in order for you to be able to be with others and we've created that and it, it works really it's um, Moses um, uh, after 40 years of having the Jews uh, lost in a desert and haggard and full of broken clothes and fit with uh, blisters and thirsty and all the rest and thing when they start to uh, I do a bit of idolatry they lose themselves into their uh, into their pattern into what to do really and how we do it really and how is it we go about doing the things they get lost not only in the desert but they get lost in their way of doing 
in a way. And uh, Moses go because he's had them on in his he's been having to solve problems and feud between people and all the rest because that's what we do with the people in charge really <laughs> we go to him for him to solve the problem really in a way and we seek counsel to him really okay and he goes up the mountain he carves the whole ten commandment he comes down he's like okay that's how we do now no it's not how we do now it's how we've all done so far and it's summarized it and it's written in an intelligible fashion really but beforehand we all were acting like that you will not kill your uh, brother well yes because we've noticed when you kill somebody um, yeah when you see well that's what PTSD is <laughs> you get on a battlefield and you're a bit innocent and a bit nice and you see yourself killing somebody really and you see yourself and how you respond to the whole lot and you've not seen that in you really before and you're so traumatized by how you went about doing the whole lot that you got you end up with PTSD really Uh, you will know you will not kill your brother because when you get there uh, you are a changed man and it uh, fucks with your mind basically whether somebody I don't know like you blow on a IED or something like that and you have to really realize uh, somebody was there to just like fuck your leg up really so you would not walk again just because you're there just because you're trying to help people all the rest and thing and he didn't really want to kill you he just wanted to mutilate you and that's really vile way of and when you have to experience that in your flesh and be there at the time and the whole thing it's it, you're imprinted your amygdala all the rest all your who you are gets buggered really you will not kill that's the first one really if it's at the first one all the Ten Commandments, really, in a way, really. And that's how better to be able to live with others and to live with yourself. To live with others or something like that. And I think it's great. So it's it's been acted before and then it's written on, and it's carved and is, all the Jews are like, oh yeah, wow, great, oh well done Moses, Ooh, you rock. Because it makes sense. They're not like, wow, what the fuck is that? It's completely shite. What are you talking about? We don't do that at all. It made complete sense. He didn't have to even sell it, really. He came down, he said, that's how we do. It's like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. Oh yeah, I guess that's how we do, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it, that's it. He, he, he wrote he wrote the behavior already. Very Piagetian way of doing, really. Well done, Moses. Well done, Piaget, for uh, realizing that's what Moses was doing. That's it, that's it. Or what children are doing and, and the fact that we have to act the whole thing before being conscious of it. And that's where pain becomes super interesting, really. Pain is... Uh, asking your mind to pay attention to the whole lot and not only it pays attention to that but you have to pay attention with what you're not able to do with it and you have to pay attention to the archetypal part of what the whole part is on about and what everybody else is does with it and you notice about everybody else who's got the same problems than you because you know that they know you got the same problem and they can come and kick you in a bloody part really and use it in a benevolent or malevolent fashion. So that's awesome way of looking at pain, really. That's, I find it amazing. And that's really, you cannot put one, if you got sciatica, you cannot put, it's difficult to stretch your leg forward. You cannot walk very easily. 
you cannot do squat really you're in such a, a, a headspace it's so difficult really pain completely reduces your world and your brain and your mind has to focus on that and the dialectic so yes the pain behind your leg and the pain in your butt or the pain in your back and all the rest but it's about coughing it's about going to loo it's about washing your teeth it's about going to work it's about driving it's about all of it because <laughs> it's going to be there all the time so all of what you're doing is impinged by that and Yeah, you pay attention to your leg, but you pay attention to what you should be able to do. Would your leg not be painful tomorrow? But you have to think about that today. And in light of how much pain you are in today, tomorrow it doesn't look super flash, really. And therefore, you start to freak out even more, really. And it's about what you do, what you do with your leg. And then, what is it to put one foot in front of the other, to go forward, to go forth in a way, really? And that's all the metaphorical layering of it all, really. And that's informing you, and that's uh, why it's painful to, for you to pay attention. That's how useful pain is, really. And that's bonkers, really. That's enabling us to, you know, make pain such a much better stuff, really. The suffering is where you have to pay attention to. That's it, really. And that helps you to maybe get a greater uh, plan, in a way, really. Your plan wasn't really up to scratch. Pay a bit more attention, please. That's why it tells you, really. And that's pretty... I find it really amazing, really. <laughs> no, isn't it? I find it great, really. Instead of something that you have to kill, which, you know, yeah, it's, it would be great, really. When it's... You'll kill it, but it will reoccur because your plan is still not up to scratch and you haven't paid attention. It's your body who's telling you on top of it, really. So that's... Oh, no, no, uh, I fell. Oh, yeah, there's many ways to fall, really. I fell from my horse on my back. Like, oh, yeah, some people fall on their freaking feet when they fall from their horse. Or some of them fall on their heads. And that's a bit a different way, really. That's a bit the tricky part, really. You can't blame it on the fall. Oh, yeah, I fell. Yeah, well, how, how came you fell? Somebody, somebody pushed me. Yeah, or somebody pushed you and you didn't expect it. And you were not ready for somebody to push you. So you were not paying attention, were you? Oh, well, it's not really fair, really. Yeah, some, some terrorists came and uh, used his knife and blew himself. Ah, well, yeah, well, yeah, you were in an environment and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you were not paying attention enough and... And how could you, in a way, really? So you're going to have to make yourself a reason. Otherwise, it's going to be quite tricky to come out of that pit, really. That is just put, it, put you in. But it happens all the time. And that's a, a bit the cruel part, really. If you're not willing, fully engaging with the whole lot and going forth with it, it's not going to happen. And you're not going to get the whole thing organized, really. And that's... I find it really great, really. I find it cool, really. I think it's amazing, really. It's it's your body talking to you and giving you a hint of what the solution is, really. Why would it lie to you? Why? That's amazing. It's there's no little white lie. That's a bit the uneducated, unedulcorated truth which sometimes is difficult to see or look at, really, in a way. 
and that's pain for you from nucleosynthesis and all the rest <laughs> and then and then yeah yeah i was re- uh, watching something about crispr yesterday and that was like bonkers again like genetic engineering and the whole gen- gene editing type stuff and the uh, with CRISPR yeah Cas9 and the whole RNA part of it and the combo of the two making CRISPR and now you can actually edit all different genes and things like that and now the main problem is um, like pain that would be quite an interesting one like you've got terminal cancer and you need a lot of pain there's a certain a mutation you could uh, trigger in order for people to not be in pain really if you want it, really. Nowadays, you can do that. That's pretty mental, really. But mm-hmm. there's uh, things you could do to the next generation. So you could pass that on to an embryo and then he becomes a human, really. And then that human is going to pass on the whole things that you've changed, really. What's the ramification of that, really, in terms of evolutionary kind of thing, really. All the rest, really. And... and limitation again really mm. so you remove lots of limitation uh, without knowing too much what's what's happening really so oh. my nan at christmas we're having a conversation about uh people wanting to change their their sex yeah or yeah sex uh-huh. and not stopping at gender if you like yeah yeah and obviously being quite an old school religious uh-huh. Christian lady, she believes that we're going to get to a point where we're messing with human bodies so much uh-huh. that you know that classic saying. Well, so tra- transgender, of, tra- transgender yeah, people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, okay. The sins of the fathers, the sins of our father, will be felt for the third and fourth generation. Mm-hmm. And she thinks that we're going to end up having a lot of babies that, if we start messing around with people's sex, yeah, through let's say CRISPR, like. Whatever genetic engineering or whatever, I don't know if that's possible. No, because it's, it's a chromosomic sex is a chromosomic uh, thing. But X or X, we weren't we weren't actually talking about uh, yeah, yeah. CRISPR. She doesn't really okay, know. Okay. She hasn't really th- thought okay, the whole okay. thing through. But I just thought it's quite interesting. A, a interesting idea, which she thinks we're going to end up giving birth to children like a lot of hermaphrodites and a lot of children with a lot of issues. Uh-huh. And when I learn about the things that they're doing maybe CRISPR wouldn't work, but, mm. you know, CRISPR is an in, insane uh, scientific feat. Like, it's such an amazing it's, it's, thing, really, yeah. like, depending on how we use it, of course. Mm-hmm. And when I think about all the things that they're doing mm-hmm. and the idea that people think that you, that gender or sex is just a construct, mm-hmm. then I think maybe we're not going to have loads of issues with children being born hermaphrodites and mm-hmm. the issues that would come with that. But, but I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. from her old school biblical mm-hmm. uh, education and yeah. beliefs, yeah. maybe there is something in there that does warn us of mm-hmm. that. But that's that's where it's great to be in your grandma's uh, brain and in your mind. With her, uh, so she's got a... a a woman in her mind that has got certain attributes. That's the whole thing, really. And uh, and she's got a man in her head that's got a certain attributes. And she's got a, 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 a couple 
who's got a certain attribute. She's got marriage, and that marriage has got, or the binding of two people for life, that has, or is being bound for life, that's an attribute. All those kind of stuff, really. And people are trying to do without those limitations, really, in a way. And that's exploring uh, the uh, possibilities, which is in, super interesting. But we're still bound with limitations anyway. So that's the whole thing, really. And we see with research uh, about monoparental families, so families who, uh, children who've been brought up by a mum, a single mum, or a single dad, well, they do less well, socioeconomically speaking, than children who've been brought by a mum and a dad. On average, yes, of course, there's exception, there's all the whole thing, and the stuff, but on average, on a bell curve, on a standard distribution, uh, uh, throughout Western society, for example, we have people who are bro uh, children who are brought up with monoparental Uh, uh, families tend to do less well. So if you got two mums or one mum, the child doesn't have in his head uh, uh, a dad, a man uh, in his in his head. He doesn't he doesn't know how to contain with a man. Not to say that lesbians don't bring up children really well. And I'm not saying that really. But it, the construct, the limitations they bring is uh, how the child is. Uh, gonna respond in his environment to the cues that men are bringing into their world. Because he's not gonna have a construct well enough and he's not gonna know exactly how to behave accordingly. Potentially. And that's difficult. That's the thing. So to, I don't know, like uh, Elton John and his partner, they've been together for uh, donkey's years and they've adopted kids and they're possibly the best fathers. <laughs> Ever, really. They've had to go through so many hoops and they, they know exactly why they want to do it, how they, they must have talked about it, and they've got a stable relationship, all those kind of stuff, they, I'm, I'm sure. But that kid is not gonna have in his proxy, like the first couple of, if he's, if they adopted a 15 year old or, or an 8 year old, it's different a bit. But if they adopt a baby, a baby, and then he grows up the first two or three years of having in his world two men, well, he doesn't have the template of a woman on a whole lot, really. He's got only two men to uh, as, as a template, really. Mm. And therefore, he's going to find it difficult, possibly, to act around uh, uh, women. But not women like a matriarchal kind of principle, in a way, okay? And that's quite an interesting thing. You bring a limitation to the whole, to the whole thing. And there are other limitations. It's fine. As long as you know the limitation, it's not really a limitation. Mm -hmm. That's why, that's, that's why you really. were saying the limitation is, is a positive thing. It's a positive thing. You exactly. know the limitation. You need to know the limitation so you can play the game. Because yeah. it's a game. You need to play. And if there's no, there's no rules and if there's no game, uh, you, you, it's not possible. So obviously there's a game. We all play a game. But we, we need to know which, which game we all play. And we play different games. That's the thing really. Which is quite an interesting thing. So what are the set of rules in your game? And in your grandma's mind, she's playing a game. There's a game, and a man is, has got certain attributes, a woman has got certain attributes. When they come together, and however they want to come together, they got certain attributes. 
bah, euh, transgender ou, ou thinks he's more of a woman than he's a man and he wants to have a sex change in order to be able to see that he's actually in the outside the same than he's in the inside that's yeah that's a set of limitations in a way but at times you hear the bloke saying oh, I want my sperm to be frozen just in case I want children later And it's a bit like, well, yeah, but you changing your appearance and your sex brings limitation. You don't have any testicles anymore because you got a little vaginal, really, okay? Or a big one. Who cares? But uh, you don't have any, and therefore you're a woman. But you still want us, you still want the state to actually froze your sperm for you to be able to have children later. Well, no, because you're a woman and sperm is not for women. So, The limit you you try to that's the whole thing with science you bring you try to get rid of the limitation again it's a bit like well so you haven't embraced being a woman obviously if you still want your sperm to be frozen I don't know I'm just like you go to the extent of having surgical procedure to match how you feel inside your head which is what's Your reality is, is I, I cannot, I cannot deny anybody's reality. And, and you act upon it in order to have surgery. The, the current technology is, is allowing you to have the whole lot, but you still want your sperm to be frozen. Um, like that's, that's the, like the world on its arse completely. You're like, well, hey, but I can have children. Well, maybe not. Maybe the whole thing of going down that road is bringing so many limitations that the f not to say that you cannot adopt children and and uh, and be a, a, a mum to them really, but you cannot uh, procreate anymore. Be otherwise, you're going to procreate with your sperm when actually you're a woman. And women don't have sperm. Women have got ovules. That's the limitation. I'm sorry, really. So now you want to be a woman, but you want to have the sperm. And there's something not quite right in a way. So you're not contending with the limitation all the way to the end, really. And I guess, or my thought on that is, you're trying to remove the limitation, and maybe the li maybe limitations are actually biologically, psych psychologically, and socially beneficial. It's kind of. I I think that yeah. it looks that way, yeah. and if you if you keep on, I guess from what Manan's saying, if yeah. you keep on removing limitations, yeah. then potentially the outcome of it is not going to be something that is particularly desirable. That's it. That's it. That's it. Like that, who, who knows what's going to happen to mm -hmm. some children in the future if we end up doing some crazy things with regards to re removing limitations? That's it. That's it. That's it. And it's and them reproducing as well because it it needs to be passed on to other. Chimeras, <laughs> or it needs to be passed on from a camera to uh, one who's not been fiddled with, really. Uh, or fiddled with. I'm not, it's not actually fiddled, engineered. What, what's a chimera again? Animal? Well, human. yeah, it's like a, it's like a part of different things, really. Mm. So, um, it's the attributes you, it's a mental representation of, I don't know, like, um, 
like uh, uh, think about uh, Hindu god or or whatever or I don't know time out things the the Mesopotamian god or or even uh, Horus who's got legs and he's got a head of a, a falcon or those kind of things really it's it's the Minotaur all those you know like dragons <laughs> It's like things that don't really exist and they are made of different parts type thing really. So uh, it's like a mental uh, construct of something that is actually made of different parts which can't really be put together. But now science is enabling that to happen in a way. That's the whole thing really. So it, like we talk about cameras maybe. And, and yeah, yeah, it, limitations are so interesting really and you have to really be able to contain with the limitation and that's that's the thing really where so after having had that battle in your head about the fact that you felt like you had more attribute from a woman than you had from a man and you saw that it was so important for you <coughs> to be able to look and, and appear to others and yourself like you were having the attributes of a woman type thing with having no testicle and penis and have a, and have a vagina or and, and breast as well that's it really you you tend to change a bit the the set of things but it comes with a drawback really you don't have eggs you cannot be fully a woman obviously despite having all that construct in your head really which is reality for you and it's We need to be able to enter everybody's mode of reality. That's great, really. But they have to not forget the mode of reality of others as well. Because that's the thing, really, a bit. That's, that's the whole part, really. Mm. I, I have had to contend with a woman that is in my head and in my mind and a man that is in my mind. Because I'm both of them. I, I like to look after my kids. My granddad, he never looked after his kids. Okay? So I'm already different to my granddad. This change. The pressure we have and me looking after my kids and helping my wife around that and maybe being in the kitchen and doing a bit of cooking and, and putting the groceries in the right place that uh, my wife is telling me they need to be in is a great thing. I need to be a bit like that as well, in a way, to, because I have to contend with... A woman in a way who's becoming a bit more like a man as well because that's apparently what needs to happen really in a way because that's it my wife is more of a man in her head or as attribute of a man in, in her head than my grandma had if I was behaving like my grandma my, like my granddad now or my great granddad now how is it you, you could not You'd it's not shamed. possible Yeah, you'd possibly be shamed or people would not understand what, what it's all about. You'd be like a, a feminist, mis no, a misogyne. You'd be misogyne. You'd be a bit bigoted. You'd be racist. All the rest, really. Well, yeah, well. Anyway, I have to contend with a man and a woman in my head because I am surrounded by, uh, uh, well, I've got a, a woman at home. <laughs> so if I don't know how, how to construct her in my head and how to act around her, I can't have a long-term relationship with her. That's the whole thing, really. So, and all of us have, have to do that, really. So, it's not because you're having a bit trouble with your way of contending with that, and it obviously doesn't look like what is in your head. 
that I haven't had to do that myself as well. That's the thing a bit. Because I've had to contend with the limitation. And I've had to make peace with the limitations as well. And if you haven't made peace with the limitation, so be it really. But I am not asking others to help me to deal with my limitations. I take responsibility for how I look at the whole lot. You think you're a, 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 wom- a, a man in your w- woman's body, and then you want to do the whole stuff, and the surgeon is able, and you, and on the NHS. On, so, yeah, okay, ish. <laughs> yes, well, it's a limitation, and then to make you feel better, and for you to be more whole, that's fine. But we can't, now that you're a man, we can't, you can't ask again on top of that for people to freeze your eggs in case you want to have children later. You, how far we push the whole lot, really. Mm. When others around have had to contend with that as well. And they've contended with it a bit differently. Because we've all had to do that. That's the whole thing, really. Uh, being uh, uh, gen- the dual gender is we all have men and women in our heads. Because we've got a left brain and a right brain. And we have to contend with men. And, and we women. have to contend with men and women. So how is it you know about the template if it's not in your head? Of course. I can understand. I can really understand. But let's... There's how to push the whole thing and how to take responsibility for the whole lot. And how is it you take the whole stuff on board? So you pay for your surgery to change your uh, your appearance, to match how you, how you've seen yourself in your head so it matches better and it clashes less whatever however you want to do it because we've seen there's a bit of a, a, a spectromy and another spectromy we love spectromy so there's people who do drag things so they make up and on the weekends they act like women but they're still men rest of the week really and others are <laughs> there's all, all sorts okay so how is it we push the whole lot, really? So everybody has had to contend with the whole lot, and it's not because you want to contend it like that that you have to impose your way of contending with it with everybody else. And it's a bit undermining for everybody who's, have, who's had to contend with it as well. You're not special. <laughs> That's it, really. 100%. 100%. 100%. That's quite, it's quite tricky. It's difficult. You're not, you're not the center of the world. You're a, I mean, a, center. a center of the world. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. You're the center of your own world. And obviously, we would really enjoy to, for you to be, um, content in your own self and with your own self, really. But that comes with sacrifices, that comes with lim- limitation. That's the thing, really. And if you think there's no limitation and you impose a limitation on others that you don't want to contend with, well, after a while, there's a backlash because <laughs> some people are a bit like, well, hold on. Nice, nice, but whatever, really. So, beliefs and knowledge and science, all those kind of stuff, becomes quite an interesting thing so people are using the science and and their consciousness of being conscious to try to change their uh, body appearance in order to match their uh, mind 
And we've got physicists who are trying to figure out how the whole universe is put together and how is it we can bring it to things. There's uh, uh, Sufis who, and dervishes who use dancing in order to enter in an altered state of consciousness to try to be one with the world. There's uh, fakirs who sit on broken glass all day long to hurt themselves in order to find enlightenment. There's many ways of doing, really. And, and it's interesting to add that tongue to it, really. But we don't hear much about fakirs, and we don't, they are not asking the NHS for uh, plaster and, and suture points uh, on the NHS because they've cut themselves too much. That's bit the whole lot, really. There's responsibility. You engage with the whole lot willingly, really. The person who goes to see Nodi Aguilar, who's actually uh, cerebral, who has cerebral palsy, who engages willing fully to the whole lot, if he's obliged to go to an Audi, he's never going to do it, really. He goes willfully and, and, and by himself and he engages with the whole lot and he tries to, yeah, look at the limitation which have just not been limitations, really, in a way. Anyways. Oh, that was a good perambulation. We perambulate all our, the time. Two hours of perambulating in Franglais from Franglais. Alexia now. That's it, that's it, that's it. But it's quite interesting subjects. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, yeah, more. Yeah. And it would be interesting to have people um, of that denomination who would want to actually engage with... Uh, uh, the limitation and discuss a bit the limitation and how how they could explain to us a bit more their model of reality because I think it's very important. It adds to it adds to the to the discussion and to the whole shenanigan. Really, it's being conscious of being conscious and how to contend with it in in the 2020s really, and that's different to in the 1900s obviously really and in the 1700s and 10,000 BC really or 40,000 BC anyway well done uh, uh, for listening and, and contending with the amount of information we'll have to actually uh, get people to comment a little on those things and maybe correct some of the data and some of the uh, things I talk about because I think there's a lot to um, be fine-tuned, I'm sure. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you very much for another great podcast. Great job. Cheers, Alexi. Ciao.